Good morning, children of the king. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Let's make sure we turn to Ephesians chapter 1. It's good to see you today. We're going to continue with the message we had last week. And we talked last week about the fact that the love of God, if we understand it rightly, is the fuel for our worship and for our transformation. And last week we talked about three important truths that come from this passage. One is election, that before the foundations of the world, God chose us in Christ that we would be his children. Point two was adoption, that he would not just forgive us of our sins, but that he would make us part of his family. And number three, redemption, that Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, purchased us who were at one point slaves to sin and have been brought into his righteousness. We're all born into this world as slaves to sin. And our father in this world, when we're born, is Satan. Jesus had a little dialogue with the Pharisees. And they were trying to accuse him, if you remember in John, of being illegitimate. That he didn't have a father. And the dialogue goes back and forth, and they're questioning, who's your father? And Jesus has explained to them that his father's in heaven. And they're going back and forth, and finally Jesus lets them know who their father is. He says, your father is the devil. He wasn't being harsh. He wasn't being um, condescending. He was speaking truth. Everyone born into this world is born into the family of Satan and are slaves to sin, yet we are told that God before the foundations of the earth has chosen children that he will rescue from that family. He will snatch us from that family. He will bring us and make us part of his family. Isn't that wonderful news today? We talked last week about the fact that some treasure hunters captured or discovered an incredible treasure off the Florida coast. They came across sunken treasure, lots of gold coins worth $4.5 million. And we made the comment that that is small compared to what we have in Christ. Now, for the people in the world, they would laugh at that. If we said, listen, we'll give you $4.5 million, or you can have all the promises in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, they would choose the $4.5 million. How many of us today would choose the $4.5 million? Over against the treasure that is in verses 3 through 14. Mark 8 makes this incredible statement. Mark 8, 36 For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it matter if you gain the whole world? What if you happen to become a millionaire or a billionaire? What does it matter in the end, in this short life of 70 years, if you forfeit your soul and spend eternity in hell? That's why... Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is an incredible treasure. And if you'll remember, Paul, in the latter part of Ephesians 1, prays for the Ephesians that they'll fully understand what they've been given. 
One pastor has likened this passage to Christmas and a Christmas tree and all the gifts under the tree. And each of the things we're unpacking is a gift. And he makes this comment, the great thing about this Christmas tree, the great thing about these gifts is your name is on every gift. How many of you have had a Christmas where your name was on every gift? I haven't had one of those. You know, I was, when I was a kid, I was looking under the tree, trying to find the ones that were mine and trying to shake them and see what was in them and all this and that. Every gift we talked about last week has your name on it. There's no first-class Christians and second-class Christians. There's no elite and common Christians. Every Christian has their name on these gifts. Today, we want to look at the last three in this section. Again, verses 3 through 14 is literally one Greek sentence. Paul just puts it all down in one sentence. We're going to look today at our inheritance that we have in Christ. We're going to look at the fact that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at the incredible truth that the one who has secured our salvation is king of all. Is king of all. We weren't just saved by some good person who made a sacrifice for us. We were and are saved by the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega. First of all, let's look at the inheritance. So we have inheritance, we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and we have the fact that not only are we saved by the king, but the king, the whole purpose of God's working in history is to bring everything under the king. Everything will be under the king. And we wait for that day, don't we? And we're going to start in verse 11 and 12. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. As we've read this passage several times, we've looked at the fact that God has blessed us so that we can do what? Bless him. And as he works this plan of salvation out in our lives, it becomes to the praise of whose glory? His glory. If if you'll see in this passage, there's nothing about man's glory here. It is about God's glory. And he's, he's working this out according to his own will and his own purpose. And the purpose of that is those of us who first hoped in Christ will receive everything we've been offered. Everything for whose praise? For the praise of Christ. For the praise of God, the Father. For the praise of the Holy Spirit. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. We'll see a very similar sounding message coming out of Peter's mouth that came out of Paul's. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation point. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, who's the one acting here? God is acting, causing us to be born again. To what? An inheritance that is, and he gives three descriptive words here, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You realize that our salvation has not really been revealed yet. We are kind of stealth Christians, aren't we? We look like everybody else, and hopefully we're living a little different than everyone else. But our salvation has not yet been really revealed. We've come and given testimony that Christ has saved us, but we're all works in progress. But there's going to come a day when it's going to be revealed who are his and who are not. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the goal. What's the goal? That our faith will be tested and it will result in praise and glory and honor to who? To our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice he says that you're rejoicing, but now for a little while, a short time, what's going to happen to us? We're going to go through trials, persecutions, troubles. Jesus said in this world you'll have trouble. Some of us kind of bought into the Christian life thinking this is going to set us free from trouble. Jesus said, oh no, if you become my disciple, trouble's coming looking for you. But notice what, the, what Peter says under the inspiration of the Spirit. It's just for what? A little while. So keep it in perspective. Whatever you're going through, whether it's illness or persecution or challenges in all kinds of ways, shapes, and forms, keep in mind this is for what? A little while. We are being saved for what? Eternity. Though you have not seen him... You love him. Isn't that amazing? We have not seen Jesus, but we what? Love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's what this passage is going to help us do, is to rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith The salvation of your what? Souls. In the children's catechism, there's a little question, and it asks the, I forgot what the question asked, but it says, we have a soul. Did God give you a soul? And the children say, he gave us a soul that will never what? Die. What's the most precious thing in this world? Jesus, obviously, 
But on the human level, it's what? Our soul. He's given every person a soul that will never die. And it will go to be with Christ or to go to be with the devil. Depending what we do with Jesus. That's why this passage is so important. And it is so wonderful. Because it tells us what God is doing with our soul. How he's going to take care of our soul. So, but notice, this inheritance we've been given, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. And it is unfading. And notice, it is guarded by the power of God. I don't know about you, if you've ever tried to save something or hide something or put something away or preserve something, and then you find out something got into it. Mice. Or corrosion. Or somebody comes in and busts the window of your car and takes something of yours. It wasn't guarded, was it? God tells us that what he is doing for us is guarded by his power. It will not be taken away. You will not get to the end of your life and die and find that there's nothing there for you if you put your trust in Jesus. You will find that everything you've been promised beyond your wildest imagination has been given to you just as God said. Isn't that incredible? It's absolutely incredible. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, and we see in this passage, all, you'll see the pray, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. He did this according to his will. He did this according to his good pleasure. For what? The praise of his glory. This is all about him. Jones writes, in every view of salvation, the place given it to the glory of God provides the ultimate test. The proof that it's truly scriptural is that it gives God, gives all the glory to who? God. However you understand salvation, you'll see that scripture clearly understands it is giving all glory to who? To Christ. In Romans chapter 11, if you want to turn there, verses 33 to 36. So Romans is 16 chapters. 11 chapters talks about God's plan of salvation. It talks about the gospel. And at the end of those 11 chapters, as it explains what sin is and how all people have fallen into sin and how Jesus came as the second Adam to save people from sin and how God's, nothing's going to take us away from the love of God these incredible truths, we get to chapter 11, the very end of chapter 11, before he gets into 12 through 16, which is really practical of how this gospel is going to change who we are and how we're going to live. We read this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again. In other words, who does God owe anything to? 
That's the question. And who has given God any kind of counsel or any kind of wisdom? And the answer is no one has. He's all wise. He owes no one anything. And for from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything comes from him. Everything works through him. Everything comes back what? To him. To him be the what? Glory forever. After we talked about his salvation and how he did it, he says it's all from him, through him, back to him. And when we get to verses 9 and 10, we're going to see that everything is going to line up under who? Jesus Christ. It's all going to come back to him. Romans 8, 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are what? Heirs. This whole thing of adoption has, has meaning, doesn't it? Because when you're a child and you're adopted into a family, now you become an heir. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus' pattern was first suffering and then what? Glorification. If we're part of the family, we're going to have the same thing. There's going to be suffering and glorification. More and more around the world, we are seeing clearly, even though the media tries to cover it up, we're seeing that Christians are being persecuted. Christians are on their knees on the shore and having their heads removed because they are Christ's. They are suffering for a little while. Horrible, horrible, horrible things. But, they're, but they will share in what? Glory with him. And the writer says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Whatever this world dishes out, the worst it can give us, Paul says, if you measure it, here's the sufferings, here's the glory. A lot of us have been athletes. Some of us still think we are athletes and we get hurt. An athlete always measures the cost, the price to pay with the what? With the glory. The, the sports teams that win, they put incredible price to be paid in their, in their working out and preparing and the agony they go through and the way they beat their body and make it their slave. But they, they always value the glory more and they're willing to do what? Pay the price. Brothers and sisters, whatever we have to go through in this world, whatever comes our way, the writer here in Romans says, what? Whatever you suffer, even if you have your head taken off, for Jesus' sake, when you get to the other side and you measure it, it's going to be way down here. And Christ and who he is and the glory to be revealed will be way up here. How do you face trials? How do you face uncertain times? How do you face persecution? Because you understand that the suffering is here, but the glory. 
If you think it's the other way around, you're going to do what? You're going to deny him, aren't you? If it's all about this life, if it's all about keeping my stuff in this life, then that's what it's going to be about. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We talked about redemption and Jesus died for us to purchase us from slavery and set us free. The writer in Romans says, if he's given you Jesus, he's going to give you everything. He's going to give you everything, everything you need. That's not a health and wealth gospel. He's not promising you that in this world you'll have everything that measures up to what the world wants. What he's saying is when it's all settled out, you'll have everything, all that matters. You'll have Christ. You'll have a soul that's been saved. And you'll have eternity to live and serve and rejoice in our King. So first we have this incredible inheritance. He doesn't unpack it all for us. He just tells us we have it. And he tells us we have it because we've now been adopted into the family. Secondly, he makes this incredible statement that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 and 14. In him, who's him? Jesus. You also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Again, we see that phrase, to the praise of his glory. This sealing is what? For the praise of his glory. You have been sealed, and how did this happen? Here it gives a real simple explanation of how people are saved. Notice he said, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You heard it. Somebody shared it with you. Somebody told you about Jesus and the gospel and how you needed Christ and you needed forgiveness. And he died and took your place. And you must repent and believe. Somebody told you that. And what did you do? You believed And then you were what? Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Until we actually what? Get possession of it. Now we all understand this, don't we? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 and 5, 5 says, Paul writes that God sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Ephesians 4.30 and later, later, later in Ephesians says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The spirit has sealed us. The word pledge here might better be interpreted as a down payment or earnest money. We understand that, don't we? You buy a house and you give, a, you give them earnest money. You give them several thousand dollars, depending how big the purchase is, guaranteeing that you will in fact carry through and make this purchase. 
Now, we all know that in purchasing a home, two or $3,000 isn't going to keep you from at the end backing out if you really want to back out. Notice what was put down as earnest for us. The Spirit of God. We were given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that what he began in us, he will carry to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. The Holy Spirit is our pledge or first installment of our inheritance. What's great about the Holy Spirit is he gives us the ability to begin to live as children of the King now. Not perfectly. We've talked about that over and over again. We're not perfect at this. But we are gradually progressing by the grace of God and the power of his spirit and putting off sin and putting on righteousness and learning how to worship and how to glorify God and how to be effective in his kingdom. He just didn't put $2,000 down on our head or $10,000 or $100,000 and say, okay, I've, I've reserved them. They're okay. It's personal with God. It's so personal, he gave us the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. What's the purposes of a seal? First of all, it's security. We're still talking about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Security. The seal made something secure. Remember the Roman guards? They came and they made the tomb secure. What did they do? They probably took a rope and took it from the, stone, from, the, from the boulder that was in front of the tomb to a rock against the tomb. And they put wax on both of those. And they put the Roman seal on those. And then, of course, they stationed a guard, didn't they? To secure Jesus' tomb so that nobody could steal his body. Also, a letter or a legal document was sealed with wax and stamped with a special seal so that the recipient could be sure that the letter or the document had not been tampered with. Well, we know this just by having our letters even just you know, lick them and stick them, right? We can usually tell when someone's been tampering with a letter, right? But they put a seal on there to secure it, to make sure it was not changed. When you trust in Christ, God sealed you with his Holy Spirit, making your salvation secure. No one can break God's seal. And we talked about the security of the believer. Do we understand that this passage screams of the security of the believer? First of all, before the foundation of the earth, God chose you. If you're a believer in Christ today, he chose you. Secondly, he predestined to adopt you as his child. Third, Jesus paid the ultimate price and purchased you from Satan and from your life of sin. Fourth, he's given us an inheritance that he promises will never fade or perish. And now he tells us we have been secured by none other than the third person of the Trinity. 
Look at John 10, 28 through 30. Now here is we're secured by more than the Holy Spirit. John 10, 28 through 30. Jesus is talking. He says, I give, talking about his disciples, his sheep, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus is claiming to provide what for, for his sheep? Security. I've got them. Take them. If you can. You can't. Then notice what he says. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Who else is providing security for you and I? The Father. We have the Father. We have the Son. And now in this passage we're studying today, we have who? The Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity have secured your salvation if you have believed and repented on him you are secure in him and we talked about the fact that our sinfulness can cause us to feel insecure and the trials of life can cause us to feel what insecure and to be left alone and this passage for you friends is and for me is a constant reminder that we are loved by God more than we could ever imagine and that our salvation, which Christ purchased, has been secured by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And no one can take you out of their hand. That's why Romans 8 is, whether death or life, angels or demons, principalities or powers, heights or depths, no matter what it is in all creation, death or life, whatever it is, nothing can separate you from what? The love of God. Has that reality struck home to you? That's how secure you are. You, you are not a Christian because you're going to church and you're reading your Bible and you're doing a bunch of good stuff and you're hoping that at the end of the day, the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff. I promise you, at the end of the day, the bad stuff always outweighs the good stuff. That's why Jesus came. You did nothing. You were able to give nothing of righteousness for your salvation. Jesus died for you as you were. And he secured you by the three persons of the Trinity. So a seal is security. Secondly, a seal is identification of ownership. The seal marked out property or documents as belonging to the one who put his seal on it. This is ownership. Much like branding of cattle, the seal showed who officially owned something. Even so, God's spirit is a seal on the believer showing that you are no longer your own he bought you with the blood of Christ. And you now belong 
Isn't that great news? Glory to God. We're purchased by him. We're his twice, aren't we? We were first created by him, made in his image. And even though the fall happened and we were born in sin, he comes back for us again, doesn't he? And Christ dies for us. He purchases us. First Peter says, with the precious blood of a lamb, not with gold and silver, we're purchased with the blood of Christ. How much more personal is that? If you don't feel loved in Christ, I don't know what's going to make you feel loved in Christ. So the seal shows ownership. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20? Let's look there real quickly. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He's talking to them about giving their bodies into sexual immorality. And he makes this incredible statement. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Why is the Holy Spirit within you? He's a what? Seal. He's the seal to show that you're his. He's the seal to secure who you are, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. I love those words. You are not your own. I am not my own. Are you living like you're your own? That it's all about you and it's all about your happiness in life? No, 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 no. You went from being a slave to sin to being a slave to Christ. It's no longer about you. This whole passage screams, it's about who? Him. It's about Christ. And think about all your energies and efforts. Are they about you? Or are they about the one who purchased you? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So do what? Glorify God in your body. Live what little life you have left for the glory of God. Unashamedly, unabashedly for Jesus. Third, what does a seal do? It authenticates. It's authentication. A seal makes something official or authentic. If something has an official seal, you know that it's genuine. If you've ever had to get an official transcript from a college or a high school and you're trying to transfer credits to another school, they want the official copy. The official copy has the seal of the school that's actually raised on the paper. You can actually run your fingers over it and feel it. That says this document is what? Authentic. Other photocopies could be what? Changed. Played with. It's authentic. Or a notary public authenticates your signature on an important document to show that you really were the person who signed it. They looked at your driver's license. They looked at your passport. They watched you write that down. They looked at the picture and they put their stamp on there saying what? This is an authentic signature. It's an important document. So the Holy Spirit assures us 
that we are his genuine children, that we're authentic. Romans 8 tells us what? The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. You may be a person who looks like a Christian on the outside and you may be able to say all the right Christian lingo, come to church and go through all the motions. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit and if your life is not changing, gradually changing and becoming more like Christ, you're a false believer. And the reason you're false is you don't have the authentication of what? The Holy Spirit. There's no doubt in this room today, there are some people who are checking the boxes and doing the right things, but they've never really placed their faith in Christ alone to save them. They've never really turned from their sin and they've never been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And at this point, Their soul will live forever. But it's not going to be where they want it to live forever. If you're here today and you wonder if you're a believer, if you're not sure there's really any authenticating marks that you're a believer, please come see one of us. Talk about it. The destination of your soul is nothing to be played with. Number three, so we have, we have this incredible inheritance we've been given. We have this incredible sealing of the Holy Spirit. And then here's the most amazing thing. We'll go back to verses 9 and 10. We'll go back to 7, 8, 9, and 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. So we know a mystery. We know a mystery. A mystery is not something that's meant to be kept hidden forever, but it was hidden and now it's being what? Disclosed. Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And here's the plan. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. The big plan is it's all going to be united in Jesus. Everything is going to be united in him. When we did basketball camps, we would come to a time of teaching free throws. And we always had fun with the campers. And so... We would pick some person and put them on the free throw line. They'd shoot a few free throws. And then we'd say, okay, here we go. Now it's going to get real. How many of you think he's going to make the free throw? How many of you think he's going to miss the free throw? So everybody would line up on both sides of the free throw line. As the ball is in the air, you see people trying to change sides because the winners were victorious 
And the ones who predicted wrong did 25 push-ups. So there was a price to be paid if you picked a winner or a loser. So there's this constant switching back and forth trying to get there. And then there were people who tried to switch. After the ball went through the hoop, the guys on the side who said he didn't go through the hoop, they tried to get to the other side. Everybody's going, no, no, get back over there where you belong. There's something about us that wants to be with the winner, isn't there? We see this in the presidential election. We have these 16 candidates, and some of them aren't doing so great, and all of a sudden the big money starts moving from this candidate to where? To this candidate. To this candidate. In the end, there will appear to be a champion, the Antichrist. And he will bring everything under his control. And everybody will follow him because he is the champion. He's the great savior of the world. And the only people who won't follow him will be those whose names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. What's amazing about this whole passage is we weren't just saved by somebody who had a noble heart. We were saved by Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who has all power and wisdom and knowledge and authority to carry out all of these incredible promises. And God and Christ and the Spirit are going to bring everything under Jesus. Everything under him. Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image. And had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We're called to suffer for him. How much that's going to be, we don't know. Some of us may give our life literally for Jesus. But we're promised here that when Christ reigns, we reign. We're on the team, the winning team. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Hebrews says it's a kingdom that is unshakable. Now we pray for our country. We desire to see revival and make me God will be gracious and give us revival. But whether this country rises or falls the kingdom we serve primarily is unshakable because the king is unshakable and the kingdom even though we don't see it at this point there's no flag waving the kingdom is expanding as people repent and believe 
and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and tell others about him and disciple others and lay down their life across the globe. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest seed, the smallest little plant in the garden. And one day it becomes this incredible tree that takes over the entire garden. We have been purchased by the king. And he is reigning right now. But one day it'll be visible. He will come in the clouds. He will take those to be with him. And we will come and we will reign forever and ever and ever. Glory to the king. Glory to the king. Well, how do we know that's really going to happen? Job 42.4.2 declares, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's Job 42.2. Psalm 103.19. You only need some of these verses when things aren't looking good. Write them down. Psalm 103.19. Rejoice that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 115.3 states, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Amen. He does whatever he pleases. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, and God declares, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Is that not what he's been saying all through this verses 3 through 14? It's according to the counsel of his will. It's according to his good pleasure. It's for his glory. He says here in Isaiah 46 that he will accomplish everything according to his purpose. And he will accomplish everything according to his pleasure. This is who is our king. This is the one who has saved us. Now, in the world, he is mocked, he's laughed at, he's joked at, and it appears that Christians are a weak and oppressed people. May I say to you, we're children of the king. We're children of the king. And the kingdom is expanding. And it will continue to expand through every people, nation, tongue, and tribe. It will expand So brothers and sisters, lift up your heads. Look at Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Everything is about him. How you're here, you're here not because of you. You're not not here because you're smarter than everybody else. I'd like to think that. You're here because he chose you before the foundations of the world. 
Why? Out of his own pleasure. For his own purpose. For his own glory. For his own glory. So what does this mean for us, brothers and sisters? This glorious, incredible truth. How do we come down and put hands and feet to it? Since he's Lord of all and he's going to be Lord of all, his purpose, if you remember the beginning of this, of this long paragraph, long sentence here was, he, we were saved to become holy and what? Blameless. We are to submit ourselves to him. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, because we have the Spirit of God within us, we need to be establishing the kingdom of God in our own lives to begin with. He is our king. We don't listen to everything. We don't watch everything. We don't do everything. We by the word of God, decide what's appropriate for children of the king to be involved in. We don't just follow the world over the cliff. I'm not saying we don't have recreation. I'm not saying you can't watch movies. I'm saying you can't listen to music. What I'm saying is you need to realize you're a child of the king. And you need to live for him. And your life needs to be directed by him. You're not your own. Your priorities and your values, not only your thoughts and actions and words and deeds, but your priorities and the values you have. Are you promoting your own kingdom or Christ? This is a big one. Is it really about Christ or is it really about you? Really? I think if we had to admit it, a lot of us would say, you know what? It's really probably more about me. I give God some time. But really, I'm building my kingdom. It's about my name, about my glory. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom. His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You and I are one of the few people in the world who actually has some discretionary money. A lot of people, they're just doing good to get the money to the people for food and food into their mouth. You and I have discretionary income. What do we do with it? Is it always bigger and better? Grander? Or is it about the kingdom and building his kingdom? Our schedule and our time. You know, we only have so many hours each day, each month, each year. And, you know, sleeping takes time, doesn't it? That's a good eight hours or six if you're good. Eating, have to eat. And we work. How do you spend your leisure hours? And there's nothing wrong with having leisure, reading a good book, relaxing being with friends. But the question is, is it about you or is it about him? What priority does his kingdom have 
for you. And everybody's going to have to decide that for yourself. Each of you are children of the king. Each of you will need to decide how you take what God's given you and how you use it to expand his kingdom. And a lot of times what we want to do is figure out what's best for us and then make sure everybody else does it. You will answer to him one day for how you spend your life. Remember, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And for relationships, how do you leverage relationships? Obviously, we have to love the brothers and sisters in Christ. But how are we doing in discipling others? Creating discipleship relationships, evangelistic relationships, relationships in our family, relationships with our workers. Because again, even work and relationships is all under his kingdom, isn't it? And how we do it for his glory and honor and praise. There's really not Christian work and non-Christian work. It's all his, right? Because we're not, we're, every, every aspect of our life is his. It's not that I give God 10% and I get to keep the 90% spend how I want to. Because really all that we have is his. Because we're his slave, right? We're his slave. A pastor tells the story of an old Navajo Indian who had become rich because of oil that had been found on his property. He took all the money and he put it in the bank and his banker became real familiar with the habits of this old gentleman. Every once in a while, the Indian would show up at the bank and he'd say to the banker, grass all gone, sheep all gone, sick, and water, water holes dry. And the banker would say a word. He knew what needed to be done. He'd bring the old man inside and sit him in the vault. And then he would bring out several bags of silver dollars that were his. And the old man would spend an hour or two looking at his money and stacking up the dollars and counting them. Then he'd come out. He'd say, grass all green, sheep all well, water holes are all full. What did he need? In the midst of whatever he was facing, he needed to know his riches, didn't he? He needed to realize what he had. Brothers and sisters, as we look in our life, as we see our sin, as we see the trials that we face in life, we can say, grass all gone, sheep all sick, water holes are all dry. You don't need to go to the bank and pull out your CD and play with it. You need to come to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, and look on the incredible riches. Your soul is secure. You are loved by him. That's why Paul gave that to us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this glorious passage of Scripture in which it screams to us that we are loved by God. 
it screams to us that our soul is secure. It screams to us that all glory goes to you, all worship and honor and praise go to you. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the riches we have here. Not just for an hour, but day in and day out. And Father, I pray that this would change our heart toward who we are and how we live our lives. One day we'll stand before you, King of kings and Lord of lords. May we have taken our five talents and made five more. May we have taken our two talents and made two more. May we, have, may we lay what you've given us before you. Father, I pray by your spirit you would drill into us that we are not our own. We are bought with the precious blood of Jesus. To him be all glory and honor and praise. Amen.